Well, I am not a musician, as most of you know, but I like music. Classic rock is probably my first choice, but I'm not too picky, really. Um, jazz, R&B, Motown, Top 40, Alternative Rock, Fusion This, Fusion That, doesn't matter. Uh, except for the really twangy stuff, I like just about all music. Uh, just last week, uh, Karen and I got to hear Elvis Costello and Steely Dan down at the Seaport Pavilion, along with a few thousand other middle-aged wannabe rock and rollers, <laughs> pretending we're 20 years old again. So it was a lot of fun. Well, we all like music, I'm pretty sure. We like it not just for its entertainment value, but because of the effect it has on us. Music is a powerful medium. Music ministers to our spirit. Music calms us. It inspires us. A three-minute song can completely change your mood, your outlook on life, your energy level. But here's the interesting thing. They tell us that it's really not the tune or the lyrics that have that transformative effect on us. It's the beat. It's the rhythm. The rhythm that, that makes us want to move. Could be the, the flowing one, two, three, one, two, three of a waltz. The strident drumbeat of a John Philip Sousa tune. The, the, the driving energy of hip-hop. It's the beat, it's the rhythm that makes us want to dance or march or strut. Rhythm is defined as a strong, repeated pattern of movement or sound. So in order for rhythm to work, there has to be some variety. First of all, there has to be sound and silence. There has to be pulse and rest. But there also needs to be predictability, some repetitive pattern. And, and when that strong, repeated pattern comes together in a pleasing way, it does something to us. It does something in us. And if you're still not getting what I'm driving at, give a listen for the next 90 seconds or so, and maybe it will all come together. It might seem crazy what I'm about to say. Because 
Now, how many of you feel happier than you did 90 seconds ago, okay? How many of you could not resist moving some small part of your body down there underneath? Think about the people in that video, all ages, all ethnicities, all walks of life, a white middle-aged preacher man, all getting their groove on. They're so full of energy. They're so full of life and joy. And, and what I love the most is they're free just to be their crazy, goofy selves. What is it about that song that has that kind of impact on it? What is it about that, that song that, that sets us free and fills us with such joy? It's not, the, it, it's not the tune, even though it's catchy. It's not the lyrics, even though it's about being happy. It's the beat. It's the rhythm that makes us want to move. Listen to what a neuroscientist has to say about this, lest you're thinking I'm making this all up, okay? Gaps in the rhythmic structure, in the underlying beat of the music, provide us with an opportunity to physically inhabit those gaps and fill in those gaps with our own bodies. In other words, it's the beat that enlivens our spirit and makes us want to dance. But it's not the pulse that does that, it's the rest. It's the gap that invites us to move into that space with, a space with our body and our soul. It's not the sound, it's the stillness. It's not the movement, it's the rest. And now some of you can begin to see where I'm headed with all of this. Last Sunday, we introduced the idea of Sabbath. The divinely ordained principle of taking a rest one day out of every seven. We began our Reset series with Dr. Matthew Sleeth, who came and spoke to us from his book about living 24-6 in a 24-7 world. He invited us to take a day each week just to be, just to be ourselves, to be with God, to worship Him, to enjoy life and goodness and rest. In one of the services, he actually took a baby from the front row, held that child in his arms, and he challenged us for the sake of the next generation to, to build into our lives and our homes and our church community this divinely ordained principle of rest every seven days. Now, he made a pretty compelling case. And I think all of us left last Sunday. I was actually in Watertown last Sunday. I think we all left with two clear but competing ideas in our head. One, I want to live that way. And two, I don't know how in the world to pull it off. <laughs> I mean, who can actually do that? In today's crazy, fast, techno-driven world, how can we take 24 hours off, give up a whole day, and still provide ourselves and those we love with everything we want or need for a good and successful life. Well, we become convinced, I become convinced, that, that this principle of Sabbath and rest is so important to our lives, so important to our homes and our church. We've devoted this month of August to resetting our calendars and our pace and our commitments as the new calendar year or the new school year comes upon us. We'd really like to do life differently this year in our homes and, and in our church life as well. Now, when I say we, I also mean me because this really is an area in which the Lord's been dealing in my life in a very personal way this summer. So what we're going to learn this morning is that Sabbath keeping is really a matter of finding a rhythm for your life, a predictable pattern 
of work and rest, of activity and stillness. And the wonderful thing about rhythm is that every song has its own beat, and every person finds their own rhythm of life. Sabbath-keeping is not about legalism. It's not about conformity. It's not about rules and regulations. It's simply about understanding the, the, this divinely ordained rhythm of work and rest. So let's go to a passage of Scripture that helps us understand this principle of time and rhythm. It's a familiar passage, one of the most familiar in the Old Testament, and also a text that, interestingly, has very often been set to music. Let's go to Ecclesiastes chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 1 through 14, the Old Testament book of Ecclesiastes. It begins this way. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven, a time to be born and a time to die, a time to plant and a time to uproot. Now these are the words of a wise man, perhaps Solomon himself. And they remind us that we live in a finite world. We are limited. Our, our time on earth is bounded. It has a beginning and an end. And there are things we have to do in that time frame. And, and we don't always get to choose which ones of those things we want to do or when we have to do them. A time to kill and a time to heal. A time to tear down and a time to build. A time to scatter stones. A time to gather them. There's a certain relentlessness about these things. They just keep coming at us. They are unavoidable. You don't get to pick and choose which of them you do or when you do them. Reading through the list, it just gets exhausting. Time can be a real taskmaster. Some years ago, Hootie and the Blowfish sang a song about this very thing. Time, why you punish me? Time is wasting. Time is walking. Time, you ain't no friend of mine. We get it. And we feel that as a new year of school and work and church is sneaking up on us. As we fill in those little boxes on our calendars. There aren't enough boxes in a week for everything we have to do. The boxes aren't big enough for everything that has to happen in a given day. And so as we fill in those boxes, fill in those weeks, they all begin to look the same after a while, day after day, week after week, month after month. There's no break. There's this relentlessness about it, this inexorable, relentless, demanding rush of this thing called time. No wonder we get overwhelmed and discouraged or at least exhausted. No wonder we, can't, we are not interested in summer coming to an end. But before you begin to regret coming to church this morning, <laughs> let's go back to that first verse again because there's something else going on here. There's another word we need to pay attention to. Look at it again. There is a time for everything and a season for every activity under heaven. The wise man is reminding us that all time is not the same. There are a variety of activities available to us on earth and a variety of times and seasons in which we can do them. There are seasons of activity and seasons of, of inactivity. A time to embrace and a time to refrain. A time to search and a time to give up. These seasons have different moods to them, a different pace. A time to weep and a time to laugh. A time to mourn and a time to dance. There's something pleasant about it when you begin to read it that way. When, when you get it right, there's actually a, a rhythm to it. It actually begins to feel like a song. 
And that rhythm, the rhythm that we begin to pick up here, it's that rhythm that makes life beautiful. Skip down to verse 10 of that same chapter. He writes, I have seen the burden God has laid on the human race. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Now, wait a minute, Solomon. Which is it? Is life a burden or is life beautiful? Is time a taskmaster or a songwriter? It turns out it can be either. It all depends on the rhythm. Now, here's what I like about this word rhythm and why I'm spending so much time on it this morning. So often when we talk about time, we talk about Sabbath, we use words like uh, uh, agenda and prioritization and management and, and all those words begin to feel heavy. It feels like yet another chore heaped, i got to manage my time. It sounds awful. The Sabbath begins to sound like yet another set of rules and regulations, another chore we somehow have to fit into the course of the week. But rhythm, well, who doesn't like rhythm? I mean, that has this energy and this pleasant sound to it. It sounds a lot less like a burden and more like an invitation, less like legalism and more like freedom. It sounds doable. It sounds personal. It sounds like it could be fun if you actually got the hang of it. And Sabbath keeping is all about rhythm. It's about living our lives in sync with the, the divinely ordained rhythm that God has wired into the universe. And we're told that from the very beginning of creation, from the very first page in the Bible. We get the rhythm. And there was evening and there was morning the first day. And there was evening and there was morning the second day. And there was evening and there was morning the third day. Can you hear it? Can you feel the rhythm? We begin to get the hang of it. Something interesting is happening here. There's work and there's rest. There's pulse and there's rest. And just as we're getting used to that beat, work, rest, evening, morning, he introduces another gap, another rest, a, a syncopation perhaps. By the seventh day, God had finished the work he'd been doing, so on the seventh day, he rested from all his work. Six days on, one day off. And, and that felt so good to God that he, he decided to to wire the whole universe to work that way. And God blessed the seventh day and made it holy because on the seventh day he rested from the work of all the creating that he had done. He established it as the very rhythm of life. Now I hope you're getting the hang of reading the book of Genesis because it, there's a secret to it. If you read these opening chapters of Genesis like a science textbook, it will tie you up in knots. It's not what it's meant to be. If you read the opening chapters of Genesis like a song, like poetry set to music, well, now you're beginning to get it. And the time signature of this song, you know, the little tempo that every composer puts on the very first bar, 2-4 time, 4-4 four, four time, the time signature of the universe it's 24-6. Okay. The composer has given it to us right from the get-go, right at the beginning. There's 24 hours a day, and there's six days of work, and then you take a rest. And the Bible calls that day Sabbath. 
And when we get it right, it makes us want to dance. So let's talk a little practically about how we actually pull off this thing called Sabbath. There's all kinds of definitions out there. I'm going to go with a real simple one. Sabbath is about two things. It's about resting from work and delighting in God and His gifts. So there's only two things you do on a Sabbath. You rest and you delight. Sounds pretty good, right? Resting from work means exactly what it says. It means stopping. It means taking a break. First of all, it means taking a break from whatever your paid work is. Whatever you do for a living, and whether you work at an office, a school, a factory, a ship, a truck, or out of an office in your home, you don't punch in one day a week. You, you step out from the atmosphere of stress, pressure, agendas, and deadlines. You not only don't push in, uh, punch in, you don't check emails, you don't answer phone calls, you don't make lists of things to do. And if you're a student, you don't do homework. <laughs> Tell your folks, God won't let me <laughs> do homework. You stop. Now, some of you are saying, I can't afford to do that. If you think you can't afford to take a day off, then take a lesson from S. Truett Cathy, the entrepreneurial founder of Chick-fil-A, who built his fast food empire on the Sabbath principle. Chick-fil-A's are never open on Sunday anywhere in the country or the world because Truett Cathy wants his employees and his customers to be home with their families and to worship on Sunday. Now, if you think you need to make more than $4.2 billion in your life, feel free to work on Sabbath. But I don't think most of us need to do that. Sabbath isn't just about resting from paid work, it's about resting from unpaid work. All those chores, tasks, things we do every day just to keep life happening. Grocery shopping, errand running, bill paying, housework, yard work. Now, unless yard work is a delight for you, and we'll kind of talk about that in a minute, but we take a break from all the things that feel like work. Uh, most Sabbath writers make a strong case for not shopping on Sunday. That we take a break from consuming on that day. Now, that doesn't mean you can stroll them all in window shop because now you're coveting. Okay? <laughs> so just stay home. <laughs> now, last week, Matthew reminded us that... Uh, Matthew Sleeth, not the other Matthew, okay, uh, reminded us that you can't get legalistic about this. There are some tasks that are just unavoidable on any particular day of the week, and there are some tasks that are actually enlivening to us. So if cooking a nice meal rejuvenates your spirit, if mowing the lawn helps you relax, then that's okay. There's, there's no rules about this exactly. The idea is to take a break from anything that feels like a burden. You might think of it this way. If you should do it, you probably shouldn't do it on the Sabbath. Now, if the kid has a dirty diaper, you should probably change it. <laughs> but how about if the person who usually changes the diaper the other six days takes a break on that seventh day? Can I get an amen? All right. There you go. So the first part of Sabbath keeping is we take a rest from work. 
It's a way of reminding ourselves that God can run the universe without your help. Thank you very much. Now, he welcomes our help. He invites our participation. But you know what? He doesn't need our help. And he loves us even when we're not contributing. He loves us when we're serving and sharing our faith and changing the world. And when he loves us when we're sitting in our lawn chair sipping an iced tea. And that's the second aspect of Sabbath, which is delighting in God and his gifts. This is a day for reminding ourselves of God's love and faithfulness and of enjoying all the good gifts he's given us in this life. Worship is certainly an important feature of Sabbath. And that's why Sunday is a logical day for most people to take their Sabbath. I hope you enjoy coming to worship. I hope you look forward to seeing people that you know and love. I hope you appreciate the beauty of music and art and, and a welcoming environment. I, I hope you're encouraged by, by solid teaching and thoughtful reflection on the truths of God. I hope you enjoy putting your gifts and talents to work to bless others. Worship ought to be a joy and something you look forward to. And in a couple of weeks, we'll talk more about making Sundays work. Now, if, if your work requires you to work on a Sunday, okay, you maybe need to find another day off. That's okay. There's nothing legalistic about it. And I've heard from some people who have found that it works best for them if their Sabbath begins at 6 p.m. Saturday and ends 6 p.m. Sunday. So they have Sunday evening to kind of get ramped up for the week and maybe get the homework done and whatever needs to happen on a Sunday night. So again, don't get legalistic about it. Just find a way to make it work. But, but Sunday worship isn't the only way to delight in God and His gifts. Anytime we enjoy this world and the good and beautiful and true things that God has given us, that's worship, that's glorifying God, that's delighting in Him. Taking a nap, playing a game, watching a game, puttering around in the garden, taking a walk in the woods, watching a good movie, reading a good book, any of these things. Now, one of the challenges I know for many families today when it comes to Sabbath, especially on Sunday, is the whole deal with kids' sports. It's a real challenge. Now, there's nothing wrong with playing or watching games on the Sabbath. If it's enlivening and rejuvenating, then by all means, go for it. But I think every parent in the room knows sometimes Sunday sports is really a burden and a distraction, and sometimes it can really wreck your worship as well. Back in our day, in our, in our former hometown, the uh, uh, boys' basketball, the rec league, was on Sunday mornings. Our boys loved basketball, and they weren't bad at it. They really wanted to play, and so for a while, we tried to make it work. We. I was at church. Karen was trying to make it work on Sunday mornings. Go to an early service, pick them up, drop you off, all that kind of stuff. And at a certain point, she just said, you know what, this is ruining Sunday. It's ruining the boys' participation at church. It's ruining my worship, and... And so we just said, stop. We just, the boys just didn't play rec basketball. And you know what? They didn't get a scholarship to Duke. <laughs> just didn't happen. But they did win many intramural championships in college, and they have the T-shirts to prove it. It's all going to be fine if you drop out of the league or you miss a game. So figure that out. The point is, on Sabbath, we do things that make us laugh and smile and relax. It's a day to be at ease with God, with ourselves, with each other, and with the world he's made. Now, it sounds like it shouldn't be that hard, right? 
Sounds like something we all want to do. And yet, for some reason, it's incredibly difficult. And as I mentioned earlier, I struggle from time to time with this Sabbath principle. I've never been that good at resting. It's just kind of my, uh, my metabolism or something, a bit of a hyperactivity. When I was a kid in kindergarten, I was in all-day kindergarten, so they made us take naps, spread out cots and everything. I, I, I would stick my finger down my throat, make myself throw up, just so I could go to the nurse's office and not have to take a nap. Literally, Sunday afternoons, my parents made us all take a nap. I couldn't stand it, so I negotiated. How about if I wash the dishes instead of taking a nap? I'd rather do anything than take a nap. In those days, anyway. <laughs> so I've always kind of struggled with this. I could very easily have become a workaholic. I love my work. Thankfully, Karen was wise enough and strong enough not to let that happen. So after a rough first year or two, we began to work this thing out and, and find a rhythm to our lives. Now, as I said, Sunday doesn't often work for, as a day off for a pastor, so we ended up with Tuesdays. Tuesday became our day. I never did church work on a Tuesday. We always found a way to change the pace, to spend time together, and to have some fun with the kids. We had a regular routine about it. Waffles for breakfast, donuts after school, a favorite meal for dinner time. We'd always go to the pool or the park or the ice rink or take a walk in the woods. In the evenings, we'd play a board game or Karen and I would have a date night. And the predictability of that and the consistency of that sustained us through years and years of a demanding, fruitful life and ministry. Many times we said, if we can just get to Tuesday, we'll be okay. And we did, and we were. But I have to confess that in recent years, I've fallen into some bad habits. The kids are out of the house now, so they don't need my time and attention. Karen is off at work, so there's no one around to divert me from my work. No one around to hold me accountable with what I'm doing with my day. So it's really easy to check a few emails or do a little bit of studying, you know, just to get a jump on things. And suddenly a few hours have passed, there's a list of things that get done, I'm feeling anxious and guilty and stressed out, and it's just like every other day of the week. There's no gap for my body and mind and soul to move into and be refilled. And so instead of dancing my way through the week, I kind of plod my way through the week. It's not a whole lot of fun, and I'm really not doing my best work. So... I've been reading a lot about Sabbath this summer, and the Lord's been talking to me about Sabbath, and I'm determined with His help and yours to do some things differently this year. So all this to say, this Reset series is as much for me and for our staff as it is for each of you and all of us as a faith community. We want to do life in church in a way that brings us joy and fills the ones we love with joy as well. So if, if it sounds like a challenge for you, like it's just too much to pull that off, then kind of work your way into it, as odd as that sounds. Start with eight hours. Eight hours, give yourself to stop working and delight in God. So we're talking mainly here about uh, finding a weekly rhythm of Sabbath, and that's kind of the foundational principle. But there is also a daily aspect to Sabbath and an annual aspect to Sabbath. The daily aspect is simply finding 20 or 30 minutes a day to just sit with your thoughts, with the Scripture, with God, and just be. Morning, evening, midday, whatever works, 
Give yourselves the gift of 20 or 30 minutes just to be. And if that's hard for you, if you've never figured out the quiet time thing or you need to rejuvenate it, I'm going to suggest that you, you take our plug-in experience this fall. It's a wonderful experience we offer here, and it's a fun, creative, empowering way of building this little simple habit into your life. So there's a daily rhythm, and then there's also the annual rhythm. As the year unfolds from season to season, find times to take a break. Call it vacation. Call it whatever you want. You don't have to spend a lot of money. You don't have to go away. But find a way to change the pace. And we intentionally try to change the pace here at Grace in the summertime. Things do slow down a little bit so that we can have energy and joy as we get started again in September. So hopefully you've had a chance to do that. If you haven't, there's still space at Camp of the Woods next week. And you can join the rest of the church family if you'd like to do that. Well, several years ago, Karen and I had a chance to travel to the Holy Land for the first time. We went with an interfaith clergy tour. Uh, there were a handful of conservative rabbis, of uh, Roman Catholic priests, and some uh, Protestant ministers as well. And one of my most vivid memories of that trip was the Friday evening that we visited the Western Wall. We began making our way there just as the sun was setting, walking at a kind of leisurely pace. But as we walked, we were being passed by kids and families and friends who were hurrying and scurrying their way in the same direction as if they didn't want to miss something. And they didn't. What they didn't want to miss was Shabbat, the beginning of Sabbath. They wanted to be at the wall when Sabbath came. And we got there just as the, at the golden hour as the light was radiating off that Jerusalem stone. And you could not just see, you could literally feel the energy of that courtyard drawing us into what was happening there. Crowds of people, mostly men, dressed in the white and black garb of the various Orthodox, Orthodox sects that were there. And the older men were talking animatedly with each other and anxiously fingering their scriptures, flipping back and forth. The younger men were slapping each other on the back and laughing and uh, putting their hands in the air. Pretty soon, many of those young men began throwing arms around each other's shoulders in a great big circle and dancing their way, twirling and twirling and twirling, faster and faster, laughing, kicking their legs in the air. I made the mistake of getting too close. They threw their arms around me, and pretty soon I was part of the swirling circle. Now, eventually, the dancing gave way to praying and to praising and, and reciting the Scripture. And I've never seen worship, or rarely have I seen worship, with that kind of intensity and passion. After an hour or so, darkness had fallen, and everybody began now to disperse to their own homes. Our group went back to a restaurant where we had a private room and a huge table with room for all of us. And we sat down, and for the next two or three hours... We just tasted all kinds of interesting foods. We told stories and sang songs and recited scripture and relived highlights of our trip together. And towards the end, Rabbi David of, of Temple Amuna, just down the road here in Lexington, he stood and he talked to us about what Shabbat has meant to his family, how it's the highlight of their week, how it's the wellspring of every good and godly thing in their lives. And I thought to myself, what, what a wonderful way to live. You know, to be in that courtyard as Sabbath fell, watching them dance and sing, you, you would think the Jerusalem Jaguars had just won the Super Bowl. 
You would think the Arabs and Israelis had just declared peace. You would think that shalom had come to the holy city. And you know what? It had. In that golden hour and for the next 23, the shalom of God settled on the people there. For 24 hours, people were free to be themselves, to be with each other, to be with God. And all was right with the world the way it was meant to be. For those 24 hours, time didn't matter anymore. And you see, that's ultimately what Sabbath is all about. Because Sabbath reminds us that though we live in time, we were made for eternity. The wise man tells us that as he finishes up this section. He says he has made everything beautiful in its time. He has also set eternity in our hearts. You see, a day is coming when we won't feel rushed anymore. A day is coming when we won't have to earn our keep or prove our worth or fight for time with people that we love. A day is coming when all we'll have to do is be ourselves with each other and the world and God for eternity and ever and ever with no limits and no boundaries. And Sabbath reminds us that that day is coming. As I watched those guys dance, as I listened to Rabbi David talk, I thought to myself, wouldn't it be great to have a day like that every single week. And you know what? We can. In fact, we're commanded to do that. Once a week to rest and delight and nothing else. So as we head toward September, as you start filling in those little white boxes, which ones will you leave blank? Allowing God to fill that space with joy and goodness and beauty. Where in your daily work will you find 20 or 30 minutes to just be with yourself and God? Where in the course of your unfolding year have you marked out break times and vacations for your soul to be restored? You see, when we discover the rhythm of the universe this rhythm of grace, 24-6. It makes us want to dance. It makes us want to dance. Let's pray. Lord, how, how good you are and how wonderful is this world you've made. Forgive us, Lord, for messing it up so often, for making it more complicated and more demanding and harder than it needs to be. Forgive us, Lord, for thinking that we can fix everything in our own strength. Thank you, Lord, that you love us even when we're doing nothing. Maybe you love us most when we're just depending upon you and delighting in your goodness and your provision. So, Lord, as we begin thinking about the year to come, our personal lives, our family calendar, the ministry year, Lord, may we, by your grace and with great wisdom and joy, set aside time daily and weekly and throughout the year to rest and delight in you and to show the world how to dance. In Jesus' name, amen.